Yeah, exactly. And so you're kind of like, you're just buying low and selling high, but without actually owning the asset, you're just renting it. Whereas you can... Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, welcome back to another episode. I'm Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? Many of you have asked me about Airbnb, short-term rentals, and if I ever did a podcast specifically covering that. Well, today is the day. I am interviewing James Vetek, who is actually the author of Airbnb for Dummies and has a huge portfolio of Airbnb rental properties, and uh, we really get into it today. So I hope you guys enjoy today's podcast. And also, uh, don't forget, leave a rating and a review if you haven't done so, but you can also reach out to me anytime at sarahlarby.com. Check out the website. There's lots of great things for you there that you can download and also therightclub.com. So if you are interested in live meetings and you missed the November 30th one, Carrie James and myself, which was Have Your Cake and Eat It Too, that is a whole experience of comedy and live music and real estate investing conversations. There's also the Right Club, which is a different, completely different meeting, but it is also as awesome. Um, and those are held in Burlington in the West End of the GTA. So uh, those are the two live meetings that I am doing. So feel free to come out to either of those. Send me a message if you want to know more about it. And uh, other than that, I will bring in James and I hope you guys enjoy the podcast on short-term rentals. James, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing, Sarah? Good. You are the go-to person for one of my favorite topics right now when it comes to real estate investing is short-term rentals, Airbnbs, and potentially doubling into midterm rentals as well. And you wrote the book, Airbnb for dummies. So congrats. You know, I'm excited to have you on the show and I'm sure our conversation is going to be awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. Excited to be here. Very cool. So if you, you don't mind sharing, you know, why did you get into real estate investing in the first place and also why the short-term rentals? Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, it was, I actually started out managing other people's properties on Airbnb. Um, and then as I was doing that and I started, started, started to focus specifically on working with investors. Um, and I started seeing, like, I just started to connect with these investors more and more and talk more about real estate investing. So it was always kind of on my radar. And then the reason I got into short-term rentals is because with all these investors I was working with, I was you know, used to seeing what their property would perform like as a long-term rental. Cause that was always kind of the baseline they gave me is we need to outperform this number. And then I was able to see just how much better the properties could do on short-term rental. And then also specifically what types of properties did a lot better as short-term rentals. So that just kind of, it just made a lot of sense to me. I got more and more into the Airbnb and short-term rental space. And so being that I kind of just understood that space a lot better and saw that the returns were a lot better with the right type of property. That's where I started to, to focus when I got into actually investing and buying the properties. Very cool. And if you don't mind me asking, like, what does your short-term portfolio look like today? Yeah. So I, I work with another uh, investor, Riley, uh, Riley Oikel, and he basically has a background with multifamily residential investing. So he started out investing in long-term. And then when I got into real estate investing, 
we kind of teamed up together because I had all the all the uh, short term rental expertise, and then he had a lot of uh, of investing expertise. And so uh, between the two of us, like he's got a bunch of uh, of uh, long term rentals all throughout Southern Ontario. Um, and then we've got uh, an Airbnb in Buckhorn that we uh, that we just picked up this summer. We've got another one with 100 acres in uh, in Gooderham. Um, and we're doing some more deals, picking up other Airbnbs and kind of working with mostly in cottage country um, is where we're focusing. The one that we've just picked up in Gooderham that we're about to launch is on 100 acres. So we're doing some kind of cool like tiny home projects and uh, different kind of ADUs like auxiliary dwelling units there. So yeah, just kind of growing all in the in the cottage country uh, area. That is awesome. I am fascinated by tiny homes. You know what? I, I don't know if you know, but I just bought like six acres of land. And originally we wanted to make them all like tiny homes yeah. and like do the short term rental. We're good for like 15 of them, but they have to be at, at a minimum of 650 square feet, whatever. It's cool. It'll still be a cool project. But I like you, I, I love the short term rentals. I love the cottage rentals. I, I think it's, it's awesome. Uh, especially, you know, in, in good times and bad times, uh, there's lots, lots of positives. Uh, there's some negatives as well, but thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing, obviously your, your journey. Do you mind if I ask, like, so you've got obviously your, your cottages, but are you then also minute still managing for other people? Are you doing any Airbnb arbitrage or any of that stuff? Yeah. Great question. So I, I did a little bit of Airbnb arbitrage when I started managing other people's properties um, and quickly got out of that model uh, just because the the business model itself, I didn't really like the the kind of risk profile of it. You're putting up a lot of money into rent and furniture, which you don't actually get any any kind of retained equity in. And then if things don't go don't go well, whether it's city regulations or whatnot, a lot of that can go poorly. So I really focused on the co-hosting model, which is basically managing people for a percentage of their of their overall revenue. And then I, so I still work with a whole bunch of uh, people, about 600 students now through a program I run called BNB Mastery Program, where I teach people how to manage other people's properties on Airbnb. So I'm still actively involved in that. And then I work with a bunch of other hosts, helping them to improve their performance of their listings. Uh, but I myself don't manage any properties anymore other than my own, just because I've gotten more into the coaching and consulting side of things and then managing my own uh, and just sort of phased out of managing for other people and actually doing the hands-on work of that. Okay. All right. That's cool. I mean, it's, uh, it is nice to share, you know, the stuff that you've learned with others along the way so that they can also be successful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and how has this pandemic been for short-term rentals in, I, I guess, for where you are, but maybe you could, you could talk about Ontario or I don't know if you, if you know the Canada market, you know, w- what have we been seeing from a short-term uh, rental perspective in, uh, in the last couple of years? Yeah. So what, what we've been seeing, it's kind of been, it's, it's been sort of ever evolving, obviously, like everything's been changing pretty consistently, but the one sort of trend that we're seeing in, I'll say North America overall, and we've looked into the, into the kind of more macro data. And then I also have just my anecdotal experience of what I've seen with my listings. But what we're seeing is that there's a trend towards a lot more local travel. So properties that, um, that attracted a lot of local guests, so guests coming in from anywhere from you know, 30 minutes to three or four hours away, call it, are doing a lot better. And especially ones that are near outdoor attractions, so like natural parks, lakes, ski hills, that sort of thing. Um, we're seeing a lot of people doing a lot more staycations. And then the properties that we're attracting international guests for obvious reasons have done worse. And so those we've seen a big shift towards the more medium term rentals that are doing well. So I've seen that like with, uh, with our rentals in cottage country, they've done way better this year and last year than in a normal year. Um, like we're easily doing 20, 30% more revenue overall 
uh, on these college listings than we would have in a, in a normal year. Uh, whereas for a listing that's in like kind of a more of an urban center, whether that's Toronto, Vancouver, or just anywhere else in North America, I've seen some hosts still be very successful with them, but definitely shifting to more of a medium term rental. So like traveling, traveling uh, nurses, travel, other healthcare workers, people that are looking to stay somewhere for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, that tends to be a pretty good pivot because you can still kind of keep it, keep it doing better than it would as a long-term rental, but pivot so that you're not going to be kind of waiting out on those short-term guests that realistically just aren't happening in a lot of areas right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I will want to, I do want to second that because I've got, you know, one in Hamilton property there and uh, in Burlington as well. And a lot of the people that were coming were staying for the 30 plus days. And it was that midterm market of I'm renovating. I don't want to be in dust or I'm moving and I want my kids to finish school or, you know, our, our properties from the sale and the new property doesn't line up. Or I had some people even like waiting for a pre-construction property to even be done. And I think like those are my favorite tenants because it's yeah. like a little bit more hands-off than short-term, but you're still getting a, an awesome amount of cash flow and they're coming and going. And, you know, like I, you obviously there's, there's always a risk, but most of them are homeowners and most of them have a house to go to. So it's not like they're going to, you know, try to drag their feet and stay in your unit forever either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what are, you know, obviously you've been doing this for a little bit. What are some of the, you know, the pros, let's talk about pros of of short term. And then if there's anything different for midterm, let's talk about that. Yeah. So the the pros for short term for me personally, like the, it really comes down to cash flow and control are the two main ones for me. Cash flow, like it, it, what I find really interesting is being able to take kind of an arbitrage approach, but to actually investing in properties rather than doing rental arbitrage. Because the idea behind arbitrage is that you find a property that's less valuable as a long-term rental compared to as a short-term rental so that you can kind of arbitrage that, buy it as a long-term rental, like rent it, and then sell it as a short-term rental so you're renting it on Airbnb and you're making a difference. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors. On this week's episode, I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel from White's Elm Design Build. And Rob and Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on Oakville to Hamilton and beyond, but they're really great. Like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to FaceTime or video call Rob or Joel, they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations. Because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project, the rhino part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's going to cost and what renos are going to be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly. They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget, 
which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whitealmdesignbuild.com. That is whitealmdesignbuild.com. Or you can send them an email, joel, J-O-E-L, at white elmdesignbuild.com or rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Good luck on your next projects. Now back to the show. So you're basically the tenant, you're signing a lease with the landlord, and then you're going and putting it on Airbnb to try to make more money essentially. Yeah, exactly. And so you're kind of like, you're just buying low and selling high, but without actually owning the asset, you're just renting it. Whereas you can take that same kind of framework and apply it to investing where you find something that isn't as valuable to the other buyers that are looking to buy it, but is uniquely valuable as a short-term rental. And so you can get these properties that end up cash flowing like crazy. Like we just bought the property that we've, we've had it live all summer uh, and we bought it for $520,000, did about $60,000 worth of renovation work to it, another $20,000 worth of furniture and amenities. And that property is on track to do, like right now we're booked just over $90,000 for the year. And we're on track to do between $100,000 and $120,000 once the year actually ends, uh, like finishes out. And so, you know, if you, if you run the numbers on that, like the cash flow on it is just absolutely insane. Um, so that I really love. Um, and then the other one is control. Um, so like you mentioned, like just not having to deal with people that are dragging their feet, getting out, you get so much visibility over the property as well, because you can have your cleaners going in there every few days or every week or every month, depending on kind of what term you're dealing with. Um, and actually checking up on the property, making sure everything's in, uh, in good shape, everything's well-maintained. Um, and you just get like a lot of protection as well through a security deposit, Airbnb's um, liability insurance, different things like that, um, that if you know how to set things up properly, properly and use them. For me, I just honestly have a lot more peace of mind knowing that I have control over that property that I've put a bunch of money into and that I, you know, I own that. I want to have as much control as possible over that investment. Um, so to me, those are the two biggest advantages. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Especially in a, in a place like Ontario, where you have as a landlord, a lot less control uh, in the long-term rental game. And so, you know, doing something that's short-term, mid-term is, uh, is definitely an asset. And obviously every strategy has some cons. What would you say some of the biggest ones, the biggest downsides in your opinion? I think the cons, um, like if you're looking at getting into the space, then there's the downside of just having to run the analysis in a different way. I see um, like a lot of people getting into short-term rentals just because they've heard that short-term rentals do really well. Um, and they have this false idea that every property is going to do well as a short-term rental. So I think that if you don't have the right um, analytics, you don't have the right process for kind of vetting and analyzing properties, it can be a lot more risky. I always tell people that it's, it's not risky if you have the right approach, if you have the right strategy, but it is risky if you're just kind of going in blind. And it can certainly be, I would say, a lot more risky than long-term rental um, if you don't have the right approach. That and then just the, the time spent managing it. Again, if you don't have the right systems built up, um, like for us, we manage the properties ourselves because I obviously have the background, have all those systems built up so that I can do it in just a, like an hour or two a week. Um, but then if you don't have that, then you either need to build those systems and put that in place or hire a really good management company that's going to take care of it. 
because short-term rentals do have a lot more touch points than a long-term rental does. You don't have one guest for an entire year. You've got, you know, 100, 200 guests throughout the year. Um, and they have all these different questions they're going to need answers to. There's going to be, you know, cleanings happening in between each one of them. Um, there's all kinds, you know, there's, there's different use cases for the property. So there's different things that can need maintenance or that can have wear and tear. So you just need to kind of have the right systems for that, because if you don't, then, and you're just kind of going into it, doing everything yourself without any kind of systems or processes in place, then it's definitely going to be a lot more work than a long-term rental. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Like you said, processes, procedures, systems, the right people feet on the street as well, or AKA cleaners and, and handy people and, and all that good stuff is going to be key. And you talked about analysis and, you know, I look at my Burlington, Hamilton types of places, and I analyze them completely different than my cottages, you know, and, and I'm just curious because you, you talked about analysis. If you can share something with the listeners, you know, something a little bit, you know, more concrete on like, here's like a couple tips on how to do your, you know, an analysis in, in your way for, let's just say a cottage and then maybe for uh, like a suburban type of place. Yeah. So for, for any short-term rental, like we use, we have a, 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 an analysis spreadsheet that we use where we plug in all the data. And the biggest thing that I see people making a mistake on is, um, well, I mean, it's, this is going to sound really broad, but I will get more specific. It's, it's the, the income and the expenses. Um, but, and, and when I say expenses, I mean the expenses sh- specifically for short-term rentals with the income, the mistake that I see people making is they'll go and they'll, and they'll kind of, they'll do one of two things. They'll either just stay super, super broad and like not actually get the right data, they'll go, well, I think in a worst case scenario, there's no way I couldn't get less than less than $300 a night for this. So, you know, I'll go for $300 a night. And like, I think I'll probably stay 80% booked. So let me just, you know, work in a big buffer, a big margin for error and say 60%. So, you know, let me run $300 a night times 365 uh, nights a year, multiply that by 60% so I can have my occupancy rate. And then there's my income number. And it's just like, completely a shot in the dark. Like that's just, there's nothing behind that because ultimately the rates are going to vary throughout the seasons. Um, you're like, and to give an, an idea, like we charge anywhere from 400 to $1,500 a night. Like there's a huge, huge range. And then occupancy is going to fluctuate between say in the low season, some markets as low as 40, 50% occupancy. And then the high season, you're going to be hundred percent occupied. And those different occupancy rates apply with different prices. So like trying to boil it down to one nightly rate and one occupancy rate is just impossible to do accurately. And then the other thing that I see people doing that that's a little bit better, but honestly still is, is uh, just as bad with the output is they'll go and look on Airbnb and they'll base their numbers off of like for their, for their nightly rates off of Airbnbs and what they're seeing on Airbnb. And so the problem with that is that they're factoring in a 15% uh, premium on their rates because Airbnb is marking up those rates and that's how Airbnb makes money. And the other thing is that you're biasing your, your data because you're only looking at the properties that haven't been booked. Um, so you're not actually seeing what properties are getting booked for, you're seeing what they're listed for, which as a host, like you can set your price at $9 a night or $9,000 a night, but that doesn't mean that's the optimal price to set it at. So I always tell people, if you're, if you're doing your analysis, AirDNA is a tool that you want to, to familiarize yourself, you wanna use it. Um, again, just airdna.co. Highly recommend checking them out. I don't have any kind of like a partnership deal with them. I just, I use them myself and I really recommend them. There's another data provider called All the Rooms that's pretty good as well. And basically what those tools allow you to do is grab data on 
Um, what are properties actually getting booked for? Not what are they advertised for? What are they hoping to get? What do they actually end up getting booked for? Um, and what are the occupancy rates? And you can, you can um, kind of filter the data to look at different uh, performance percentiles. So you can look at, hey, what are the top 10% of properties doing versus the, the bottom 50% of properties? And so with that, you can actually put together conservative uh, projections and more realistic and more best case scenario projections because you have the real numbers and you know the real numbers based off of, okay, what, what is the actual worst case scenario versus what is the top performer doing? And then you can also get, uh, get really good insight from looking at the specific properties on there to see, okay, the, these top performers, what do they all have in common? What are the amenities that they all have? Um, and then again, expenses, same kind of thing, like do your due diligence, call cleaning companies ahead of time, because you'll be shocked at what the, what the cleaning rates will end up being. Um, and it's worth it to get a good cleaner. Like I highly recommend overpaying your cleaners to make sure you get someone that's going to take care of all those headaches for you and do a good job. You're going to get good ratings because that's going to help you make more money in the long term by getting good reviews. Um, but just make sure you go and do your due diligence, because if you go in and just kind of ballpark, okay, it's going to cost $250 to clean this place and it ends up being $350 or $450, that's going to make a really big difference on your bottom line. So you just need to actually go and get the real numbers, not try to ballpark it because ballparking it will be in most cases wildly off from where it'll actually end up. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's because sometimes I have cleaners like, and I've gone through a few in the beginning with, uh, with my Burlington place because they don't want it. There are two people. They don't want to be there for more than two hours. And I want them to do the linens and be there rather than do like a switch over anyway. So long story short, for the Burlington one, I am now Ubering my Oakville cleaner who I love and trust and she cleans super well, which is, you know, 30, 25, $30 one way, but it's totally worth it. And, and, you know, you gotta, you gotta buffer that in. And, and luckily, you know, I don't have to pay that out of pocket The the people can, uh, that are, that are renting, but you know, that's very different than maybe my cottage ones that are, you know, 25 bucks an hour and they're there for four hours and it's, you know, they do everything <laughs> yeah. and they drive themselves. Um, but then, you know, there are some like, and, and I had to, you know, look at some that were originally, there's two of them. They charge you for the kilometers that they have to drive because cottage country, sometimes they do that and it, and it can get quite expensive. And speaking of expenses too, and I'm glad that you mentioned this, there is additional expenses that people don't account for, for short-term rentals, right? I mean, obviously you've got your, your typical maintenance and CapEx stuff, but like there is going to be things that are going to break there's going to be things that you need to replace. So there needs to be like some allocation towards that internet, additional like increase in your insurance. I don't know if there's other ones that come off the top of your mind, but there's some, there's expenses that are above and, and beyond. For sure. Like there's going to be sundry expenses for things like the toilet paper, the dish soap, the paper towel. There's going to be, you, you have a lot because it's furnished, but it's not even just furnished. It's also kitted out with amenities. Like you, you're going to have different little like kitchen appliances. You're going to have all the forks and knives and cutlery, stuff like that. And that stuff is going to have wear and tear and you're going to need to do your replacements on that stuff. Um, and then depending on like with a cottage rental, um, you can have other amenities. Like we've got a hot tub and a sauna. So it's like, okay, now we have chemicals for the hot tub. We've got to do maintenance on the hot tub and the sauna. Like there's a lot, um, you have to, you know, do yard maintenance on the, on the property. Cause someone's got to go by there. Even like, even something small, like garbage disposal, um, like who's going to actually take care of the garbage. Are your cleaners able to do that? Is your maintenance person able to do that? Or do you have to hire a service to do that? Um, so there's all these things that you just need to really make sure that you have a really clear plan in place before doing it. Because again, like, I think a lot of this, when people hear it for the first time, it can scare them off and it seems really overwhelming and doesn't have to be, 
Um, it's just, it's better to go in with your eyes wide open and knowing, okay, the numbers actually do really make sense here. And this is a great play versus you go in thinking that only to realize, oh, wow, there's 10 different expenses that I didn't account for. And now this is way less worthwhile than what I thought. And I should have gone with a different property. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the setup costs, right? I mean, to set up a cottage, it could be 20, 25 grand. Is there like a, maybe like a store or a few places that you go to to just kind of keep it? you know, simple and standard or how are you like setting up the, the, whether it's a cottage or, you know, some other type of Airbnb property? Yeah. So with setup, there's a few things that we focus on. Like, um, first off, we always get an interior designer, um, to, to look it over and help us design the space. Cause that like, it's a few hundred dollars, but it goes a long way. We found in just helping the, the space to really come together and we'll try to keep things as, um, kind of unified to one place as possible. So like we love Ikea, um, but what we try to avoid is, you know, you, we've all seen these places on Airbnb that you, it looks like an Ikea showroom. Like you just know that everything in there is from Ikea and it feels very sterile because of that. So we do mix in, um, like I love Amazon because with Amazon, you can get things that don't all match just the same aesthetic because they're all sold by third-party sellers. So you're getting a whole bunch of different stuff, but it's just as streamlined to get it all as it is to just make one order from Ikea. So I like to do a lot of the the bigger ticket items I'll do from Ikea. And then a lot of the more uh, decorative items I'll do from Amazon. Um, And that works really well. And then there's kind of two parts. You have to think about the actual design and aesthetic and then like just the basic amenities that you're going to have. And then I always recommend people really put thought into what are those, um, because this is usually where you can get the biggest ROI I've found with short-term rentals is just take a minute and think about what are the things, who is your ideal guest? First off, who is that person that you really want to have stay with you? And then make a list of like, if you're thinking about it from their perspective, what are the things that would make their stay incredible? Like, what would they absolutely love to have? What would be this great added bonus for them? So like at our cottage, we did some big ticket items like the hot tub and the sauna because of that. But we also spent a few hundred dollars that I'm convinced is just a massive ROI. Like we put, uh, we spent $600 on getting a little, uh, a little uh, projector uh, and a sound bar. So we made a little home theater in the basement. We spent $200 on getting uh, a cornhole set. We spent another $80 or whatever on a spike ball set. So now we've got like just all these different fun little amenities because it's a cottage that's like, it's a large cottage, six bedrooms. You can have a big group of friends up there. And these are the things that are exactly what they want. Um, and now it just makes it photograph a lot better. It makes it stand out amongst the competition a lot better. People are willing to pay more for it. Um, and those aren't huge ticket things. Like it was literally like maybe two or $3,000 that we spent all together on just these little kind of add-on amenities um, that really make it stand out. Um, and that I think are really, really worthwhile. Uh, and you have to, they're going to be different depending on what your property is geared towards. If you're geared towards a business traveler, they're not going to want a cornhole set there. So you just kind of have to give some thought to that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as you were saying this, what's crossing my mind is, you know, this is how you can ensure higher occupancy off season, right? And so mm-hmm. um, in the summer, cottage country, you know, even prior to the pandemic, I mean, you can, you can book it up fairly easily, pretty much, you know, 95% occupied, if, if not more, if you, if you do it um, well, but, you know, off season, like, you know, what is going to make your place stick out or stand out versus another place. Um, and, you know, with things like you just mentioned, including the hot tub and the sauna are big ones. Cause they may just go ahead and say, you know, I would just want to look at cottages on the platform that is offering those two things. And, you know, there might be a lot less than, uh, 
than you think. And speaking of, of hot tub, and I don't know, I, I wanted to ask you this, and it's just a kind of a random question, but there's this company called Cottage Tubs, um, and they make this, and I don't know if you've heard about it, but they make this hot tub where it pulls the water from the lake. Uh, so a renter would come, it'd be empty, it pulls, and then so you don't have to have chemicals and you heat it using fire logs. There's like a little like huh. thing next to it. And then when it's done, you they just release the water back into the lake. And so because hot tubs, and I have one at home too, are always, you know, an issue with the pH levels and you got to do this and you got to do that. I'm, I'm curious because I want to add one to one of my cottages and I'm like, I, I want to test it out. I just don't know if you've got any experience from it or not. Yeah, I don't have experience with that type of hot tub. And I, my one hesitation on a hot tub like that is like, it requires a lot of work from the guest. So that's my, my kind of main hesitation. I always try to think about like, what's the, the user experience going to be like, what's it going to actually be like for them to stay there? And I think for some people, they would find that really cool that you can like fill the hot tub from the lake, heat it up yourself. Um, and then for other people, they just wouldn't want to deal with the hassle from it. Um, what I can say though, around, around having amenities like a hot tub or a sauna, um, and I don't have, I don't have like real hard data on this to say, okay, like I had one season with this property without, and then one season with this same exact property with, and here's the difference it makes. Um, but I know from looking at the data, um, and looking at how our property is doing compared to others, like right now for September, our property is doing about $12,000 this month. Um, October, we're going to do about 10 to $15,000 a month. We're booked at about 10 right now. Um, and then November about the same. That blew my mind. I could not believe it. I went into this fully expecting that, you know, like from June until the end of August, this property is going to do incredible. And then the rest of the year, it was going to be my cottage to go up to and get away to because it would be like virtually unbooked. Like we'd maybe get a couple thousand dollars in bookings throughout the low season. And I've been blown away by how much, um, how much traffic we're getting, even as we're going into the low season here. Um, and I think that one of the things that I would, um, that I love about the hot tub, even more than the sauna is that it's actually searchable on Airbnb. You can go and filter specifically for properties that have a hot tub. And I've done that in the past. Like anytime that I'm going and booking a, a trip in the winter, I go and I look for Airbnbs that have a hot tub. Cause that's an amenity that I really love. Sauna, you can't do that yet, but I would imagine they'll be able, they'll add that to Airbnb pretty shortly. Um, and that's really great. Cause it just means that Again, if you if you think about it, by adding that amenity, now anyone like me that's booking, if you didn't have that, they're not even going to see your property. So it's not even going to be a question of whether they're going to book your property or not. But as soon as you have that amenity, now you're actually in the running. So if you can access more of that demand that's there for the low season, then it's always going to be a big plus. And like for us, we we kind of treat it as an experiment with this one. And we just got a secondhand hot tub, spent $4,000 on it, um, got like a nice one that was in good condition that had been well looked after. Um, and it's a, it's a decision that I, I haven't looked back twice on. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors and Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome Dylan and thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I wanna first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. 
And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the, the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's a good point, right? The less somebody has to do in terms of work, the better. I'm still going to explore the options. I think it's still cool to like not have to worry about like any hydro additional costs or whatnot for a hot tub, but I'll, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to test it out. We'll see what happens. Um, and so obviously you've got, you know, going into mid season into low season, uh, I'm guessing weekends are always going to be first and foremost. Like how do you ensure you get as high occupancy as possible? Like even during the week, like, are you doing any specific strategies that way? For sure. Yeah. So I, I have something that I, I built for myself called the, the target occupancy rate tracking spreadsheet. That's a tool that I use. And basically what it does, it tells me, so I, I know from looking at AirDNA um, each month out of the year, what my goal is for that month in terms of occupancy rate, because the goal isn't always to be hundred percent booked. That's just not realistic, or it's going to mean that your prices are way too low in some months if you're doing that. Um, and then based on that, on that target that I have for each month, um, I know for the for that area, for that market, um, how far in advance I should be booking those dates. So if I know that my goal, for example, for January is to be 50% booked, that means that I should have 15 or 16 days out of January booked by the time the month is all said and done. But what most people don't, don't know is like, how many of those days should be booked by right now? And then how many should be booked by October? How many should be booked by November and December? And so I go in there once or twice a, like a, a month and I'll basically just go and look and see, okay, for January, this is my goal and this is where I'm at right now. Um, and this is where I should be at right now. If I'm, uh, if I'm booked more than I should be right now, then I'll go and raise the, the prices up. If I'm booked under where I should be, then I'll lower the rates down. If I'm booked right in line with where I should be, then I keep the rates the same. Um, and so that's like, there's a, there's a bunch of other stuff that you can do with pricing to kind of tweak it and adjust it. Um, and there's a whole bunch of kind of more advanced stuff that you can that you can do to really optimize it. I'll be honest, I don't do a lot of that stuff. Like I found that just doing the the basics of just knowing what your goal is and then making those adjustments, you know, up to six months out in advance, that gets me the occupancy rate that I uh, that I want to get. Only you know, like the only time that I'll really kind of deploy some of the more advanced strategies is if I'm just like, for example, we just launched this listing um, in June. So we had no time to get our busy season filled right up. So that's when I'll go and I'll, and I'll have to do a lot more kind of advanced stuff to try to get our revenue as high as we can with a really limited timeline to do so. But for long term, it's just really the basics. Like if you just know what your target is and you keep adjusting, 
I think where people really go wrong is they don't know where they should be six months out in the future. They only know if they're on track or not a week or two out. So then they're left scrambling at the last minute and heavily discounting their prices. And that's where either the dates just don't get booked up at all, um, or they get booked up at way lower rates than they ought to have. Do you ever worry that somebody that's booked will go back and see like a week that's open and just, and you're going to you know look at it and it's going to be like half the price or something much lower? Like, have you ever had that happen? Like, that's always my worry as, as I'm playing around sometimes with the pricing. If there's some days that, that are closer, I'm like, you know, could they potentially look and find it <laughs> and then complain and then I'll have to lower theirs? <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I've never had that happen to me. Um, and I, I'd be really surprised if someone did, uh, did do that, but like I, the way I look at it is like, okay, what's the worst case scenario that can really happen there. Right. Like if they reach out to me and, um, and it's reasonable, like in most scenarios, I would just say to that guest, um, like, Hey, you know, our, our prices fluctuate, we adjust them. Uh, if you want to book these dates instead for the prices that are advertised, then we can certainly do that. Um, if you want to keep the dates that you have booked, then you'll keep them booked for the rates that you have. Or if I really want to keep that guest, maybe I'll just give them a discount, right? Um, and ultimately, the the thing I always remind people is is don't um, step over dollars to pick up pennies. If you can adjust that rate for that guest, and it means that they're going to book again, it means that they're going to leave a five star review. Then take that short term loss because you know it's going to it's going to lead to better gains in the long term. It's the same thing that I recommend with people when when they're talking about okay, well so-and-so happened, the guest isn't happy with it. What should I do? They're asking for a discount of like a hundred dollars and I'm just give them a hundred dollars. Like just give them the discount of a hundred dollars. In most cases, sometimes it's totally unreasonable, but that's pretty rare. In most cases, you're just better off though, giving them that slight discount or doing that, that nice gesture for them, like spending some money on getting them a nice bottle of wine as an apology for whatever happened, because that means that they're going to give you a better review. They're more likely to stay, uh, stay with you again in the future. And it's going to pay off long-term. So like, if you think about it from a five or a 10 year perspective, it just becomes obvious to just make those smaller concessions um, and not really worry about, about it so much as far as like the, the small immediate losses that you might take. Yeah, absolutely. That's good insight. You mentioned wine. Do you do any gifts for like welcome gifts? We do from time to time. Yeah. So if there's like, um, uh, we, we try to kind of, um, do our best to, if there's, if ever there's an event that's happening at the, at the space, like we had a wedding there this, uh, this summer. Um, and for that, we, you know, left them some special stuff. If someone's saying, Hey, it's our anniversary. Um, the nice, what I try to do with that stuff, um, because I know that logistically it's a bit more challenging to do. I don't set the expectation of it. I like to have it as just kind of a, an added bonus surprise. So if we can get our teams together to get it, to make it happen, then great. It's going to surprise and delight them and exceed their expectations. If not, they're not left disappointed, wishing that that was there. Cause that was the expectation that was set. Yeah, absolutely. That's why for many of mine, I offer free coffee and free hot chocolate, but I don't want to advertise it because that's the whole surprise and delight. Oh, great. I mean, if they ask, I'll, I'll let them know. But for now, it's available because I still am able to get coffee from my old job. Thank you <laughs> for, for free. I mean, that's probably not going to last forever. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all of those little additional things that they don't expect when they see it. That's how you get the five-star review, right? How do you go above yeah. and beyond and like not only meet their expectations, but you know, exceed them and, uh, and set yourself apart so that you, like you said, you do have repeat guests. Look, we could, we could take this through in so many directions and we can have a whole conversation about it. Um, you mentioned a course, if somebody is more interested, I'm sure that's more in depth, where can they go for that? 
Yeah. If you want to learn about, about investing, there's um, like investing in short-term rentals. There's a link that I'll, I'll give you to put in the show notes there uh, where people can learn more. And we've got a free training that people can check out that kind of goes more into depth on, on some of the, the key factors to succeeding with short-term rental investing. So if they want to learn more about that and they can check it out there. Um, otherwise, if they just want to learn about hosting their spaces or anything else that I'm doing, managing properties, anything like that, um, then bnbmastery.com is a great place to go. And it's Canadian content. So that's really important because there's so many different ways to do it in so many different countries. But, you know, if you're looking for a cottage in the area or, you know, with this, this four season type of, uh, of surrounding, then I think it's yeah. important to, you know, do something and learn something from the same country, at least, or, or even better, the same province of, of where you're uh, looking to invest or where your properties are. So um, awesome. So the next part, James, is our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready to play? Sounds good. Ready to go. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at completepminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right, question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Uh, Airbnb for dummies. And you wrote that. So that's awesome. And where can they find that? Uh, Amazon. All right, cool. Uh, number two, I don't know if you are a podcast listener. This does not need to be real estate specific, but do you have a favorite podcast? Um, I'm not a big podcast listener and I don't listen to, to Joe Rogan's podcast often, but I've been recommended to listen to his podcast episodes a few times. And each episode I've listened to I really enjoy. So I would, I'd probably go with Joe Rogan. All right. Very cool. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? Traveling and riding my motorcycles. Mm, very cool. Number four, if you lost all of your assets and your money tomorrow, how would you start again? Uh, I would start, I would honestly, I'd probably start again, just managing other people's properties on Airbnb. Um, cause that's why I started in the first place is cause I had a business that completely failed and left me in a bunch of debt. So I had no money to get started. Um, and it worked out really well for me. So I'd do that again. Awesome. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend the 50 grand? Buy a short-term rental. <laughs> All right. So maybe a 5% down payment towards a short-term rental or depending on the market, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I would, uh, if I were doing it and I had $50,000, yeah, I would, I would buy a place, um, that I could live in and short-term rent so I could get the 5% down. Um, and then once I could, I would transition over to a full-time short-term rental. All right. Very cool. So James, where can my listeners reach out and find out more about you? What's the best spot for them to go to? Um, yeah, the, either the link in the show notes or just connect with me on Facebook or Instagram. I'm not super active on either, but I will, if you message me, I will message you back eventually. All right. And can you spell out like the actual name so that people know, cause I, I know that spelling yeah. is a little bit different. Yeah. So, so first name is James, just J M E S. And then last name is Svetic S like Sam V like Victor E T E C. Awesome. James, thank you so much for the insight guys go and research and read the book. And, uh, if you are interested in, uh, in the course, it's, uh, it looks really interesting and go check it out as well. So thank you, James, for being on the show. Really appreciate all your insights. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but 
As I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.